those guys that lead us in the mornings and even in the evenings. Um, it's been an exciting series. I hope we've learned a lot from it. Um, it's been great just to dive in it together. And if you haven't been with us, uh, there are podcasts, so you're welcome to go on to uh, just our website, margetbaptist.co.za, and they're uploaded there. Thank you to Dennis and the team for doing that, um, and our guys at the back for always recording that. So if you missed out on any of them, uh, you're welcome to go and check that out. Uh, but just to give you a quick recap, it's the Left Behind series, so going on that uh, book and almost uh, movie theme, but not necessarily the same thoughts, but we've built on that, and we've seen the first week that we are left behind in thought a lot of the time, that Jesus is coming, and that we need to change our viewpoint to there, not here, and that needs to result in a change of lifestyle. The second week we looked at, we left behind in our expectations. That was quite a hard one, just with biblical descriptions in Revelations, and even Jesus' character, uh, we're not going to be spared from tribulation including the great tribulation, but we will be spared from God's wrath. Uh, There needs to be a rebellion first, before Jesus comes, and also the hindrances of comfort and self. And last week we looked at that we mustn't be left behind ourselves. Uh, We looked at heaven and earth, the new heaven and new earth, the glory of that. Uh, What a great place. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen it in that light before. It was great just seeing a little bit of a picture of what heaven would be like and who Jesus and the Father are in heaven. Um, And then we looked at the destruction and the wrath as well of God and the reality of hell and what that looks like. And then our heart revealed. Um, We just looked at um, our character um, and also just who will serve in the end. Some people will be serving Satan. Some will be serving other idols, some themselves. But then some will faithfully be serving God as well. And there's been some good knowledge gained and church together as we've gone through this. You know, we haven't gone through every uh, nook and cranny. We haven't gone through every little thing, um, but we've gone through enough. And to be honest, I don't know if we'll understand every small thing in Revelation. Um, You know, some things I think we'll understand only there uh, when Jesus comes again. But there's enough in there, and God revealed enough to us for us to be ready now. And that's the key. So with all this information, it's good to have, and there's been some applications as well, But we don't want this just to be a series where we're like, oh, yeah, I remember that series. There was some good knowledge gained. Uh, As with all sermons, we wanted to take root in who we are so that it changes who we are and we are ready. It's not just a sermon on be ready and it's good things to remember. But church, let's take action. And we've looked at a few. There's been a few practical things on the knowledge. Just we looked at last week, we need to know God. It's about knowing God in that relationship. We've looked at uh, pursuing and being holy and blameless with God's help. We've looked at denying ourselves and checking our hearts. Those have been kind of the practical tools on a whole lot of knowledge. And this morning as we end, what we're doing is we're shifting a little bit and we're looking at just what practically we need to focus on. So not so much too much information, but a lot of, in, a lot of guidance on practical steps going forward to make sure that when Jesus comes, if we hear when he comes, because we don't know when it's going to be, but that we are ready 100%. And so we're looking at those practical steps, and if you want to turn with me, uh, guess where we are. Revelation, you're right, but we're actually at the beginning of the book, uh, so we're ending at the beginning, but we're going to Revelation 2 and 3. We're going to be reading there. So last time we looked right at the end of Revelation, and we looked at uh, just the new heaven, new earth, and the destruction as all that's to follow. So that was right at the end. Uh, This week we're looking at just the churches a little bit, and it's in Revelation 2 and 3, practical steps that we need to know and be living in before Jesus comes. So I'll read for us. 
To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil and your patience endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. Yet this you have. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. And to the church... And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, The words of the first and the last, who died and who came to life. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but, the, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested. And for ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death. And I will give you the crown of life. He who has ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, uh, the one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. And the angel to the church in Pergamum write, The words of him who has the sharp two-edged sword, I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. Yet you hold fast my name, and you did not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was killed among you, where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold to the teachings of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel, so that they might eat food sacrificed to idols and practice sexual immorality. So also you have some who hold to the teachings of the Nicolaitans. Therefore repent. If not, I will come to you soon and war against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone with a new name on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, the words of the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, and, those, and whose feet are like burned, uh, burnished bronze. I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refused to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw her into great tribulation, unless they repent of their works." And I will strike her children dead. And all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart. And I will give to each of you according to your works. But to the rest of you in Thyatira, who do not hold to this, to this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden. Only hold fast what you have until I come. The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end to him I will give authority over the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. 
And when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father, and I will give him the morning star, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And we'll stop there. There's another uh, three churches that are mentioned. And uh, as you look at them, you'll see a pattern. I wonder if as I was reading through just those first few churches, if you saw a bit of a pattern of how John was writing this letter. Remember that it wasn't just him in doing that, but it was Jesus directly giving him uh, this to write down. And so Jesus was mentioning this to him, saying to this church, write this, to this church, write this. And so we'll go through the pattern in a little bit. I want to ask, have you ever been to a wedding? I have. I was in one. Um, you know, so I've been to a wedding, and what's one of the most anticipated things? Sometimes we look forward to the food at a wedding. I don't know, okay? Uh, sometimes we look forward to the dancing, maybe. I'm not sure. Uh, the event of the wedding. But probably the most looked forward to aspect in any wedding, the moment of anticipation, is when the bride comes in. You know, everyone, she's always hidden, or the groom can't see her, and then, you know, right at the end, at the right time, she comes in, and, you know, maybe often she's delayed, so, you know, everyone's waiting there, and the groom's getting nervous, um, you know, and then the bride comes in, and everyone always turns their heads, or they stand, they're expectant of this bride. I want you to imagine we're in a wedding, and you're waiting for the bride to walk in. The groom is ready, he's smart, and all of a sudden, the bride walks in from the back, but she's extremely late, so, you know, you... You've been patient because it's their wedding day. Um, and she walks in and she's wearing purple shorts. You know, a bright red top that's a bit raggedy. Her hair's all scruffy like she just woke up. You know, and she walks in there. She's got one sock on. She's got the wrong shoes. Um, you know, and she walks in and her bridesmaids are like half in front of her, half gone. And there's a bit of disorganization. And she half walks down the aisle and then she half takes a few steps back. You know, automatically we'd just be like, <gasps> you know. But she does this, and then she walks a bit forward, and you realize that she also, she didn't bring her ring. They didn't entrust it to someone. You know, she's not ready. And then she mentions, oh, I'm not too sure if I'm ready to go with the groom. You know, imagine that as a wedding day. There's some pretty horrible stories, but imagine that. That would be one of the worst wedding stories ever. But church, in end times, it mentions a wedding day. And it's a little bit different. The bride doesn't come walking down the aisle, but the groom comes to fetch the bride. But the bride is still expected to be in that ready state. The bride is to know that day and to be ready for that day. Ephesians 5, 25 to 27 says this, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water by the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. We use this passage a lot for husbands and wives, and right at the end in verse 32, um, just Paul, who writes this, goes on to say, over here I'm actually talking about Jesus and the church. Jesus and his bride. Revelation 19, 7-9. Isaiah 54, 2 Corinthians 11, they all point to this truth of us being the bride. It's a little bit awkward for a guy to identify, but the word points to us being the bride collectively. Not only collectively are we the bride here, 
but also it mentions in other parts of scripture, including Matthew 25, just that we are the bride individually to Jesus. Matthew 25, 1 to 13 speaks of that famous story of the 10 virgins. You'll probably remember just where they went out to meet the bridegroom and five of them had extra oil um, and they were ready. But some were left behind. Why? Because they weren't prepared. All of these were virgins. All of them, this gives us the imagery that all of them were set apart. All of them were set apart for the bridegroom who was to come for Jesus. But only five of them were ready. And only five of them went in to the wedding feast. And so we this morning don't want to be left behind. And it's something that's been a part of every part of our our series so far. But now the emphasis is there. We don't want to be left behind in our preparation and in our responsibility. We don't want to be left behind in our preparation and our responsibility. We don't want to be that lady walking in with the red shorts into the wedding ceremony or when the groom comes back, we don't want to be left behind. We're responsible to be ready individually and as a church. Now within these seven churches that it addresses in Revelation, um, Jesus himself addresses them. So he himself is speaking directly to the seven churches and he highlights different aspects of who he is to the church. So he isn't someone that looks like a sword's coming out of his mouth, okay? It's imagery. We looked at a bit of that in the previous weeks, just of how glorious Jesus is. But it's identifying different characteristics and character traits of who Jesus is. And so he starts off just by mentioning who he is and how that's relevant to the church. And then he mentions something. He says, at at every church, he mentions these words, I know your, and then he carries on. I know your, the first one he mentions is works. Later on to the church in Thyatira, he mentions that he, he seeks out and he searches the heart and the mind. And so church, when Jesus is looking at us to be ready as the bride, as individuals, as a church, he's not just looking at the surface. He says, I know everything that you're about. I know how you look on the surface. I know how people might perceive you. But I also know every in-depth thing about every individual and about you as a church collectively. Jesus is uniquely and intricately, intricately watching us as his bride, individually and collectively. He knows what we're doing collectively and individually, and he knows what's really happening in the church and in every one of our lives. As Jesus knows this, he starts to commend his bride, his church. And this is what we need to learn today. He both he does two things to every single church. He says, I know your works. I know what you're doing well. And he starts to commend the church. I'm glad that you guys are doing this. I'm holding you in high esteem because this is what my church looks like. And then he says, but I have this against you. And I want you to improve in these aspects because this isn't what my bride looks like. And so if we're going to be with God's help, the right church, we hope that every church is, and we're just ready as his bride when he comes, as individuals in a church. We need to learn, well, what does Jesus say that the church needs to look like? And what does he say we mustn't have within us? And so there's practical steps this morning that we're going to look at within this in order to be the spotless, unwrinkled, blameless bride that is ready when he comes. So that it's a glorious celebration, not one where we left behind. And the first thing that we need to see as a church and as individuals 
is their deeds, our deeds. He mentions works. I know your works. I know your deeds. I know your doings. And if you look at all the different churches, this is one major category. There's four major categories that come up that we're going to go through. And the first thing, if we are church of Jesus, there should be works evident. He knows our works. He commends them for good works. This echoes Matthew 5, 13 to 16, just being the salt and the light. We should be different. We should be the salt and the light. And it says, let them see your good works so that they may glorify your Father in heaven. A lot of these works it mentions in Revelation can be toilsome. Okay, they can be trying. They're works that, that aren't necessarily easy. They're hard work sometimes. Okay, has God ever called you to do something? Sometimes it's such a great joy, but sometimes, man, it's tough. Um, you know, if you're in any position, if you have to deal with uh, whatever he calls you to do, whether it's paperwork, you can get glitches or anything there, whether it's people, you know, I sign messy people. We are messy people. And so in doing things for God, sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it's not easy. And it's not a sign to step away from it. But over here, he commends us for doing even work that he's called us to do that's hard sometimes. Gritting through and doing that wearisome work. He mentions that we should be a church of service. And if you look at that service, those are the first words of, of what a deacon is in the Bible. It's literally making dust. PC preached on it once. But it's just serving. They waited tables in the beginning. In our lives and as a church, it's not just about doing the service aspects for God. Sean mentioned a few earlier. We do service aspects. We need to. But it's also in your everyday going, we are people of service. We are people that do good works naturally just by the going. That is a church that is ready for the bride. It also mentions that their latter works exceed their first. And so we're not to go slow. If God has, has got you in a servant heart and you're doing something, don't think, oh, you're checked off, Lord. Awesome. Done. Servant heart. But see, God, awesome. I'm serving in that. And be open. Is there. If there's anything that he brings up again in your normal everyday going, doesn't have to be something just church related or anything, church. This is, this is in our lifestyle as we're ready, as individuals and the church. We become people of service. We become people who naturally do good. Jesus criticizes the churches, some of them here, um, for seeming alive, but they're actually dead. And he says why that is, because their work is incomplete. So it looks like there's busyness, it looks like they're doing God's work, but he says, but it's incomplete in God's sight. That's the big thing. Remember, our works are not for others, uh, you know, it's not for our own glory. Others see, and hopefully God gets the glory. But as Christians, we don't do works just to uh, put on a show or here's my works. It's, it's we do it for God. And then that others may see him and glorify him. And over here, you know, we might be people sometimes that are doing work and it seems like a completed work, but in God's sight. To others, they seem complete. But over here in God's sight, he knew that what he had called them to do, they weren't yet finished. And so if God calls us to a task, even if it's going well, make sure that God well, through God, we finish that task. Sometimes we, we do certain things, and to others it might seem complete, but if, wait until God says, okay, that's complete. And so watch out for that. We need to be people of service, people who do toilsome works, um, who do these works, but also completed works, not half jobs. Mark 16 chats about the, you know, the Great Commission, one of my favorite passages in Matthew 28 as well, the Commission. 
you know, God into all the world, making disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you, and surely I'll be with you to the end of the age. But Mark 16, 20 speaks about this making disciples, and it speaks about the Lord worked with them. And so again, church, never in being ready for God, there's never a separation from God. And so we might think, okay, I need to get busy and I need to do works. No, you need to stay with him and see what works he gives and journey with him. This is, this is in a segment of scripture where Jesus left his disciples, yet it still said that the Lord worked with them. Jesus had just left from them. He commanded them to make disciples, and it says, yet he still worked with them. So even though sometimes we don't see him, we need to be alert to him and to do the work that he calls us to do with him. A church of work, of service, a people of work and service. The second mark of a ready church, of a ready person, of a ready bridegroom is their faithfulness. It's their faithfulness. Jesus commends over here a patient endurance. So a patient endurance. Being patient, not walking away, going through with it. An endurance, keeping on going. We looked at the tribulation and how we're going to have to have that if we hear when that starts to happen. That patient endurance. Jesus also commends them in their faithfulness on their works. He commends them for working for God and Jesus' namesake. That they haven't grown weary. And even in Galatians, it mentions do not grow tired or weary of doing good. And we can get there sometimes. That's why it's important that God is guiding that process. But we are people that even when it gets tough, that perseveres through. We're faithful in the work that God has given us to do in our own lives and as a church. That's what we need to be. We see they're also faithful in their faith. A people group that already are faithful in their faith. They hold their faith even in tribulation. They don't let go of their faith when hard times come. It reminds me of the parable of the sower. People believe in God, but as soon as there comes hardship, they walk away from their faith. Over here, a ready church is a church that is faithful in their faith. Even when hard times come, they persist in their walk with God. They use it even to go deeper at times. It says that a faithful church perseveres even in poverty. A faithful church perseveres amidst fake believers. We'll have that all around us. We might even be in situations like that. Poverty, tribulation, surrounded by people who seem like believers but they aren't. Even in the midst of that, there's no validation for you. You keep seeking. You remain faithful in all of those situations. We remain faithful in all of these situations. And then they're also faithful to Jesus and his word. They didn't deny Jesus. Even, and this is interesting, one of the churches, he says, is placed uh, by Satan's throne or Satan's kingdom. So some churches are in this. If we look around the world, I think it's also a few churches can be categorized within these. Um, but we're just learning from each one. Here there's a church that is right where Satan is doing his business. Doesn't mean that Satan set up office next to the church, yeah? Okay, but it's a place where there's probably bad corruption, um, where things have gotten so bad and Satan's having his way completely with the people. There's a church group even there, and we might even be across that in certain times, and they just keep to their faith even though they're right there. And it mentions a man, Antipas, who died for his faith. And even someone being killed for their faith didn't deter the faithful. It made them push in deeper. And so we need to be faithful to Jesus, and even to his word, obeying his word. It mentions that one of the churches, even though they have little ability or little power, they're faithful to God's word. 
And so we need to be faithful to God's word. Jesus encourages them to be faithful even to prison and to death. If you read through this, I encourage you in your own time, read through Revelations 2 and 3. Jesus encourages some of the churches that are going through hard persecution. I think of churches in Russia and China even now. He encourages them, be faithful even to prison or to death uh, because they know their reward. Jesus criticizes people that aren't faithful, the church in here. And he just criticizes those who are lukewarm, you know, who are being half faithful in their faith. Maybe semi-faithful to the world, semi-faithful to Jesus. Semi-faithful to themselves, semi-faithful to Jesus. The interesting thing about lukewarm water, okay, nowadays we have that tap that flips on and you can kind of adjust it. It's quite nice. Um, but I don't know about your bath. I've still got the two taps, the hot and the cold. In order to get a good temperature or even to get lukewarm, you need cold, but then at times you need blistering hot water, boiling water. And so for us, it's not, yeah, it's easy. You might say it's easy to see lukewarm people, but sometimes when lukewarm, it means there's elements of cold, but there's also elements of hot. When you're burning for Jesus and you're so dedicated to him, but then a week later, oh, no, no, my own things come first. Or I'm pursuing something else. Oh, no, and then I'll come back over here. No, Jesus, yeah, I'm yeah, sold out for Jesus. No, I'm not. Uh, you know, I'd rather pursue this right now. And so lukewarm isn't this happy medium, but it involves both hot and cold. But it's just that there's not full-on hot. It's not a full-on devotion to God. He says, don't be lukewarm. Otherwise, he'll spit us out of his mouth. And so we are to make sure that we are faithful within pursuing Christ. Relying not on our own riches, he mentions to one of the churches. Don't rely on your own riches, looking with earthly eyes, not being faithful to God, but being dependent on yourself, on your own plans, on your own ways to prosper says watch out for that that takes you away from being faithful to God you start becoming faithful to your own measures and so we to watch out in this faithfulness the third key and the third mark of us being ready as individuals and as a church is the correct doctrine and the correct character the correct doctrine and the correct character Jesus commends that the church can't bear evil that they can't carry that they don't tolerate evil now, in the passage here, it alludes to that being an evil people. Um, that's an element of truth, but when you look at the roots of it, it's also just evil in general. And so they can't tolerate wickedness, rotten character, or inner malice of ourselves, of our church. They also test to see people who proclaim to be apostles or to know God's word deeply and teaching others. They don't just go along. We chatted in the beginning that sometimes there are false teachings on certain things. Specifically in times, we looked at how people would be deceived when the Antichrist comes. And so we're to watch for that. Over here, again, Jesus says, watch out. Make sure that your character and your doctrine are right. Test people. Even in this series, that's why I've said go back um, and see what the Word says as well. Not everyone who claims to be of God is of God, unfortunately. Not everything said of people of God are of God, unfortunately, all the time. And so we need ourselves, we're accountable ourselves to be testing that and to be seeing God commends these people for doing that. Not just being spoon-fed, not just for taking what's said, but actually testing it themselves, being accountable for their own walk with God, testing the word, testing people. Jesus criticizes the fact that people are there in their midst and that they are tolerated and these people are holding to false teachings. He mentions uh, a prophetess there, Jezebel, who's teaching and seducing people 
putting stumbling blocks, things that aren't core to the faith. They're trying to bring them up and cause, cause stumbling blocks before people. Over here, it's food offered to idols and eating that. But he mentions that they even teach on sexual immorality and that that is fine. And so we have to watch every single teaching. Church, we could probably do a series that goes a year long on things that are being, unfortunately, said or preached or condoned that Jesus does not stand for. And so we have to make sure that we ourselves are accountable. Not every church will have everything right. We're not going to have everything right. But guys, we need to be accountable ourselves for testing God's word, testing people of God. He commends us for that and not condoning false character or false doctrine in our own lives and in the midst of the church. The fourth mark, it's the last mark mentioned, just of a church, a people that are ready, and it's love. Jesus commends love, a care, a goodwill to others. You know, the motivation, which is almost behind the whole of the other three, is love. If we think of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians uh, 13, just a passage on love, straight after spiritual gifts. All of this doesn't even matter if there's no love. We know the great commandments are rooted in this, love God, love people. Jesus criticizes the church here who have abandoned the love that they first had. And so they're not as loving as they first were. And for me, personally, this is probably one of the harder ones out of the four for me in making sure that I'm ready if Jesus comes again. It's pretty much explained in Matthew 24, 12. It says, it's talking about end times. And it says um, about end times that because lawlessness will increase, the love of many will grow cold. And for me, I struggle with that sometimes. Uh, sometimes when we're dealing with, with people that come and there's needs and there's problems, you've got to see through, you've got to discern, is this person being for real? Uh, you know, in some of our ministries, I think of Tiano in the soup kitchen ministry, in our, our ministry with the police station, that you've got to almost test what people are saying constantly. Is there an alternative motive over here? What's going on? What's the truth? And sometimes it, it almost hardens our heart. You know, when we deal with people that continuously are false or lie or are wicked or are lawless, it hardens our heart. And we're like, well, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm not going to show you love anymore because people keep on burning when I show love. They keep on burning bridges with me. They keep on letting me down. And so for us, this is one thing that we need to remain in, and that's just love. We need to see our heart. We need to test our heart. We need to test our demeanor and make sure that we continuously, not unwisely, but that we continuously have love as a forefront of who we are. That'll direct us and make sure that we're ready. In all of these churches and these addresses to the churches, Jesus uh, then mentions what people need to do to come right. And so out of these things, I'm not sure if, I hope you've been evaluating yourself. I'll mention again. And we collectively can evaluate ourselves together as well. We don't want to be a church that's not ready or say, as the first, the first lesson in the series, oh, we don't know when he's going to come back, and so we put it off. No, whenever Jesus comes back, may we be ready as a people and as a church. And so we need to constantly be evaluating and testing ourselves against those four characteristics because Jesus himself speaking here has approved them and gone against them of what it should be like within his church, within his people. As he does this, if we're wrong in some of them, Jesus calls us to repent. To many of the churches, and church, there's going to be, there's a table out at the back. Uh, we've printed 30 of them. Uh, if you want more, we can make more copies. Just of a table that summarizes a bit of the message today. That lets you know each of the seven churches, who Jesus is to them, what he says they must do, and then what he says they are to avoid. 
And then if they are getting things wrong, what it mentions, and one of these things it mentions is to repent, to turn from these flaws. Don't keep on living in them when we know that we're not right before God. Come to him in it, and let's change that pattern within our life, within our people group. We need to repent, to turn from these flaws. Otherwise, God mentions a few scary things. He says if we continue to tolerate or live in that state of not readiness, that he will leave that church. His spirit will also leave that church. And that he will come against some because of the wrong teachings that are in there, that don't listen to him. And so we to turn to him, it mentions there in the church, of, I think it's of Sardis, just where he's knocking on the door. He's speaking to Christians already. And whoever will open the door, I'll come in and eat with them and they with me. And so he's saying, in your situation, if there's a few things that aren't right before me, you don't need to tackle it by yourself. I'm here. Repent, turn to me, and let me help you deal with these situations. It also mentions that God, as end times approach, will open some doors that no one can close. And so God might have some works for you as an individual. He might have some works for us as a church that Satan won't be able to close, that no one will be able to close, that he wants us to walk in. And so it's being alert to him within that. One of my favorite things, and Sean mentioned it this morning, just who Jesus is in this. Jesus comes uh, and mentions just in Revelation, even as he comes on, a, on the horse riding, and he comes as conqueror. And you know what this conqueror mentions to us? Right at the end of, of every letter, he mentions that we need to be a conqueror as well. To everyone, he says, to the one who conquers at the end of the first church, the second church, to the one who conquers, to the third one, to the one who conquers. And so he doesn't only say, this is what you're doing, so great church, but these are things I want you to work on. Come to me in this because I'm going to help you turn to do what's right. But when you have conquered this, then there's something for you. But I want you to conquer, just as he has conquered. With his help, conquer over here, if you look at the Greek, it's victory, it's overcome, it's prevail. Come off victorious. It's to push through, to remain faithful, to keep going. Those who push through will, and it mentions over here, have a name in heaven with God. Not only those rewards that we looked at in the glorious kingdom last week with the glory revealed, um, but it's that they will have a name in heaven with God. That they'll not be hurt by that second death that we looked at, the fire and the sulfur. That they will rule with Jesus. It mentions here, we know that we won't be spared from the tribulation, but to one church, Jesus mentions that they will not have to endure the hour of trial because of their uh, patient endurance and their faithful endurance. So some won't have to endure that hour of trial because of this endurance. We will walk with Jesus. We'll have our name in the book of life. We will sit with Jesus on the throne. And we won't hunger or thirst anymore. God will be our provision. And as we, as we put this all together, church, what does it mean for us? And so as we come to the end and we wrap this whole series up, that we are to be ready. I hope there's been so many insightful things for us to go through. And I'd encourage you, as we wrap this up, to in your own time, go through your notes. Uh, if you have any questions or anything, we're welcome to go through them. Not that we'll have all the answers, but we're welcome to go through them together and to listen to this again. But knowing all these things in the series, where does that leave us? And we do know from this morning and from this series as a whole, one interesting thing, that Jesus needs to be head of his church. 
who needs to be the head, who is speaking here, who is the focal point, who is knocking at the door? Jesus. And so Jesus needs to be the head of who we are, who our church is constantly, all the time. And then also, we need to make sure that we're hearing from what God says through his word and what the Spirit says. At the end of every church, it also says, let them hear what the Spirit says to the church. The Holy Spirit has a key role in your own life and in the life of the church, in guiding it to what God has. These are general principles for the church at large, but the Holy Spirit will guide each and every person sitting here and each and every church if there's any specific things that we need to keep alert to. And so church, the Holy Spirit as part of the Godhead is huge within your life within our life together. And so journey, what, who is he? We've, we've gone through some series, but clarify for yourself, who is he to me? How do I need to be alert to him? And if you need material on that, we'd, we'd love to journey through you in the scriptures with that. But the Holy Spirit is a huge part of this. And remember, if we're not obeying, it's both Jesus and the Spirit that leave. And so in being a ready church, we need to hold on to Jesus and the Spirit and let them guide. We need to be conquerors. We need to be perseverant in our works, in our faithfulness, um, faithful to God's works, faithful to our faith, faithful to Jesus. We need to have the correct doctrine and character in our own lives and in our church. We need to test people, test teachings, and we need to be a church and a people full of love. We need to evaluate ourselves regularly. We need to be ready. We need to be mature. We need to make sure that our faith is growing. And so if anything out of this series, three things that should stick out for us, be ready, be mature, and make sure that your faith is growing. Be ready, be mature, and make sure that your faith is growing. Church, when Jesus comes again, I'm hoping that each one of us would be confident knowing that we are the bride of Christ, that we are ready, that we are dressed in white garments, and we are ready for him to return to be with him. That it won't be a surprise for us as individuals and together. That we won't be like, oh, Jesus is coming, I haven't done this. Jesus is coming, I haven't got this right. That you'll be journeying with Christ. That even if there's things on the go, you're just like, I know I'm right with God. I know he's guiding. I am ready. My faith is growing. I can see I'm more mature in my faith. Those are three marks of a ready person in a ready church if Jesus had to come. Let's pray together, and then I just want to encourage us on one practical thing after we pray. Lord, we thank you again for who you are. Lord, we thank you for your insight, and we do, as Sean said this morning, we give you the glory. Even for revealing a few things. Lord, that, that epic picture last week of what heaven will look like, of the glory revealed. But Lord, also being aware of the destruction that's revealed and testing our hearts. Thank you for that knowledge. Thank you, Lord, just for showing us that we need to be expectant of a tough time before you come. That there needs to be a rebellion. And Lord, we must, we must not just rely on ourselves or have ourselves as the God of our own lives. Lord, that we must look to you. That we must be careful of self and comfort getting in the way. Thank you for revealing that you are coming. And that you're being patient. It's not that it's not going to happen. Lord, within this patient period, I pray that we would ready ourselves. Lord, that whether you come in our lifetime here or whether you don't, that we would still be ready people. Ready 
in being used by you, ready in maintaining our faith, ready in being mature in our faith, ready in growing in you. Lord, we've seen this morning four things. I want to ask Jesus that you help us with each of those. Lord, I pray that we would be a people individually. I pray this for every single person, Lord, and for us as a church, that we would be a people of works, not just aimless works, but works you've given us to do, that we would be a people that show your glory through our salt and our light. Lord, that we would be a faithful people, I pray for each and every one of us, that we'd maintain our faith and go deeper when hardship comes, when poverty comes, when false teaching comes, that we'd remain faithful and not be lukewarm. Lord, I pray that you'd, you'd help us be ready just in our character and in doctrine. May we give us wisdom that we know how to test people and what they say and that we're responsible for our own walk. Lord, that we don't tolerate wickedness in our own lives and in our church's life. Would you help us just to be ready, Lord, within that regard as well? And Lord, I just want to pray, Jesus, that even that last key, Lord, that you would help our love not grow cold, that we would be a church and a people that constantly shine your love and shine who you are. And so we pray that you would be the focus of our lives going forward. Lord, as we say, come, Lord Jesus, come, Lord, just that we would be a ready people mentioning that. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, just one or two practical things to mention. In being ready, mature, and our faith is growing, the one thing is, as we mentioned in the beginning, not just hearing words, but now putting it into practice. Now the end time series is done. We're going to move on to something else. We've got our family service next week that we're excited for. But church, don't just move on with this information as normal. Let's put it into our lives and be ready. Let's continue in this gloriousness with our, with our faith. And then I want to ask you, what are you doing to grow more in Jesus? What are you doing to grow more in Jesus, to grow your faith? And what are you doing to be more alert to the Holy Spirit? What are you doing to grow more in Jesus? What are you doing to be alert more to the Holy Spirit? If you can answer those two questions constantly and there's an answer, you're always heading in the right direction. What are you doing to grow more in Jesus? And what are you doing to be more alert to and be guided by the Holy Spirit? those are good answers, church, then we will be ready. But let's make sure that we, we're pushing on towards that. Um, if you have any questions, um, there's even some things we haven't gone through. If anything in your own study of end times has come up, we'd love to chat through that with you. Um, so please be open to that as well. Um, and then we, we hope you have a great week. We hope that you're able to put all of this into practice. And may we be ready at the end of times or when Jesus comes. We hope you have a great week. Um, if you're new, one of our Connect teams will, will come and meet with you. But otherwise, church, we hope you have a great week, and we'll see you next week for our family service.